let's go ahead and get into this second part of the missing trillions coverage and report by Catherine Austin Fitz sign up for our email list you can get this information sent directly to you the email is contact at neo420.com look forward to getting to know you hope you're doing well share this information far and wide just to back up that timeline uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but isn't the first Inspector General report of the DOD missing trillions from 1999, looking at the 98 books? Yes. Yeah. Now, we found it. It was, In fact, it was my attorney who found um, the HUD IG's uh, uh, testimony on the 1998 year saying the money was missing and they'd given up trying to audit and we're just going to quit. Now, if your bank account was missing $59,000, I dare say you wouldn't just give up and say, well, if the bankers promised you don't worry, it won't happen next year, you'd say, no, I want my $59,000 back. So it was, you know, the behavior was bizarre. Um, but then I think it was, um, it was not that long after we discovered that $1.1 trillion went missing from DOD in one year. Uh, it was 99 or 2000 and then 2.3 trillion. And that's why when Rumsfeld stood up the day before 9-11 and said there's 2.3 trillion, we thought it was a modified hangout because he didn't mention the 1.1 missing the year before. So it was up to 3.3 or 3.4, depending on how you round up trillion, as of the day of 9-11. And in fact, that Friday, we were coming out with a major front cover story article in Insight Magazine about the missing money and how it broke down by state and what it meant to every person. And, you know, whether it was their student loans or the pension funds, this is $65,000 per person. And so we're talking about a dramatic amount of money hitting people, whether it hits them and, you know, it disappears from their pocketbook or it hits them because they're taking terrible currency debasement and their cost of goods is going up 10% a year. All right. So you have raised the specter of some of the things that could be enabled with this type of money. For example, underground bright bases, spraying programs, secret space program, things that sound far-fetched to anyone who thinks, obviously, there must be a financial infrastructure for this. We'd see it in the books. Well, no, we cannot see it in the books. That's the point. <laughs> What do we know and what do we not know about where this money is actually going? We, we don't know. First of all, we don't know how much money this really is in terms of cash or credit, hard credit, um, because some of the money could be revenues and some expenses. So, for example, we could be occupying Iraq and Afghanistan and taking very valuable minerals and oil out of them selling the oil and laundering the money back through, or the drug sales back through DOD. I became convinced after many, many years of research that drug money was being laundered through the HUD accounts. So, so some of this could be revenue, some of this could be expenditures, we don't know. What we do know is there's plenty of anecdotal information that documents that there are extraordinary expenditures going on in terms of underground bases. Um, now, could that money be clawed through the black budget in the in the DOD budget? There's a process where money can be clawed out of different agencies and taken into a black budget and is not disclosed because it's a sort of secret budget. So so could that all those underground bases have been funded from the black budget? Yes, but they could also have been funded from this. Um, when the Kennedy assassination happened, 
if you look at the rise and the percentage of space expenditures as a portion of the budget and the GDP, what happened is after that it started to fall. What I believe is, in fact, it continued. They just took it dark. And this, you know, these various forms of disappearing or missing money was one of the ways they funded. So I happen to believe that there's tremendous expenditure spent on space that we don't see. Um, if you look at globalization, globalization could happen, James, because we had the the global satellite infrastructure necessary to ensure enforcement. No investor puts money any place where they cannot enforce. And it was the global satellites and whatever our presence was in space that was very, very critical to allowing globalization and that kind of investment to happen. Um, but the other thing we know is we have tremendous uh, evidence of all sorts of unusual spaceships flying around the planet. You know, and what I've said to various people is, you know, that's $150 trillion of hardware. Where did it come from? Somebody built it, right? So um, if you if you simply look at the kind of hardware that's floating around the planet and flying around the planet and the high technology, you know, it it, it doesn't take a big intuitive leap to say, I'll bet you we built some of it. Yeah. And even what is on yeah. the record that we know that we don't know, uh, the, the right. classified space shuttle uh, flights that we know nothing about what they were up there for, or the X-37B, which they like to tout as, well, this mysterious space plane right. that we don't know anything about, just came back from its latest two-year mission or whatever it is. Uh, but that's right. what we so know me, that we don't know. So let me bring up another one. One of the things that is so remarkable about the U.S. economy, the U.S. economy is very centrally controlled. And it's controlled because we use government money to control places as opposed to optimize the economy in places. You know, so we waste, for example, if you look at private prisons, I've written a book sort of describing the waste of private prisons. Um, and private prisons in 1996 were costing $154,000 per person per year. I mean, fantastically wasteful amounts of money. And, um, and so this negative return on on investment has been unbelievably expensive. And in 1996, when we started globalization, add to that extraordinary manipulation of the markets. With some of it was derivatives, but it would have required a real stockpile of money. I mean, you would need, um, you know, what one investor will call the hammer, uh, or sometimes they'll call it a bazooka. He says, if you have a bazooka, then you don't need to need you don't need to use it. And, um, you know, but we really created somehow a financial bazooka that no matter, you know, where the gold price wanted to go, we could press it down and you could just layer on derivatives after derivatives. So some of this money, my guess is, was absolutely parked in the exchange stabilization fund in places like that and used that to help make this global model go because there are big parts of this global model that are very expensive and have a negative return on investment. It's all about the control and concentration of cash. It's not about the control and, con you know, sort of optimization of equity. So I think that's another place. Global spring is one, I believe, is one of these expenses because if you – no matter where you are in the world, when you sort of watch the spraying and and try and count up, okay, how many planes, how many pilots, how much would the spray cost? And you just make a wild, you know, we call it a WAG estimate, wild-ass guess. You know, we're talking about something which is fantastically expensive. 
And so my guess is that some of this money has gone into Global Spring. Finally, during the period, if you if you sort of look at when the money is going missing and then you look at the offshore havens, there is, you know, it's like the Pillsbury Doughboy. This is leaving and this is rising. And it's so it's almost so perfect. It's unbelievable. So I think a lot of cash has gotten stockpiled offshore in a whole variety of interests. Um, finally, one of the one of the interesting or more interesting uses, and I can't say this is one of the biggest ones, underground bases in Global Spring is pretty big. One of the things you see is all the different fraudsters and money networks seem to have a proclivity for investing in advanced research. So Madoff, some of the money that disappeared through Madoff went to MIT Brain Research. Some of the money that went through Epstein went to MIT Brain Research. And I happen to think that a lot of the political problems we're facing right now, the biggest one is mind control. And I think if you look at how much money has gone into manipulating human beings, manipulating their minds, accessing their minds, building the kind of NSA surveillance we know we have, you know, you're trying to build a global mind that can be centrally controlled. And I think a fantastic amount of money has gone into that yeah, research. Absolutely. And that ties into the DARPA Brain Initiative and also serial right. scamsters like Elon Musk and his Neuralink and things oh. like that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I used to have a friend who was very knowledgeable about Musk and the people around him who kept saying, look, Musk is very, very dark. You know, there's very serious occult things going on here. You have to, you know, pay attention and not quote Musk. This, you know, this was all to justify me not quoting Musk. And then when I watched the Lord Neuralink, his Neuralink speech, that's a man on a leash. <laughs> but it was one of the most bizarre speeches I've ever yeah. watched in my life. And yeah. I've seen a lot of bizarre speeches. Yeah. There are there are kind of jokes that go around on the internet that he's some sort of cyborg or something, but it really does make you wonder what exactly his brain is on, on the, the way well, he Well, I actually, I don't laugh. I ran into one person very recently. Uh, you know, I used to listen to some of the people who would leave Washington and say, you know, some of the presidents are cyborgs or doubles or, you know, you, know, you never know what to make of it. Um, but I dealt with one person not that long ago, you know, one of the things I love about humans is they always have this divine spark. No matter how far gone they are, they've got that divine spark. And, you know, I was raised as a Quaker, so we're big on divine spark and you have to find the light in everybody. I dealt with a person who had no spark, none. It was, and it was every time you talk to them, it was like, you know, when the hourglass spins, they were waiting for their download from the AI and the neural network to tell them what to say next. And it was, I don't know, it was the most bizarre experience, one of the most bizarre experiences of my life. And I said, oh, no, could this really be possible? One never knows. And the, 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 the thing is that the, the economic um, opacity is what enables any of this to right. potentially be true. We truly have no idea what is going on under the cover of this. Here, here's what's interesting. There is a history. What we ought to do, we ought to get a group of us and do a history of secret money for secret operations and secret armies starting in 47 to 49, or we can even go back to, from, you know, to 1913 in the creation of the federal reserve, because it's the fiat currency and the ability to use that fiat currency globally that makes this all go. So it goes back to the federal reserve and, and, and we go back. And if you look, 
there are thousands of people who fought and died to try and stop the secret money for secret operations and secret armies. And that's what it is. It's just secret money, secret operations, secret armies. Forrestal got killed for that reason. McCarthy got killed for that reason. Kennedy got killed for that reason. The people who died in 9-11 got killed for the reason. All the people who were destroyed on the drug narcotics trafficking into their communities, same thing. It's, it's the same story for, you know, almost a century. And yet somehow we never look at it as one continuous story. And that's what it is. That's exactly right. That's something that really occurred to me when I was putting together my Century of Enslavement documentary is that essentially the history of America has been the history against the central bankers or people who want to create that institution. And when you see right. the, the struggle in that light, a lot of the history actually makes sense in a very different right. way. So I agree. Right. Completely. And what's, a, what's remarkable is if you, if you look at the, the system of secret money for secret operations and secret armies, if you look at who runs it and who controls it, it's, it's a remarkably few group of people. And that's why I've always thought, why are we letting a remarkably small group of people do this? Now, I believe that one of the sticking points that has given them their power is you have, you know, it, in 47 and 49, when they, when they assassinated Forrestal, I think you had a group of people who really believed that the general population couldn't handle the truth. You know, whether I don't necessarily agree with that, I think they can, but I think they really believe that they were sincere. And then once you build up an infrastructure that is financially addicted to secrecy, which is the most powerful financial addiction in the world, James, once you, you build up something, the legal liability of trying to reverse it, you know, could be catastrophic. And they don't, you have a cycle of disrespect between the general population and the leadership. And the leadership don't trust the general population to do sort of an adult transition. And, and so we have this cycle of disrespect on top of it, and it puts us in a real pickle. And meantime, you know, the whatever you want to call it, the secret secret operations and secret armies just get hungrier and hungrier and hungrier. Absolutely. We can see how that makes sense in an institutional sense. Um, but it raises the question, you're an investigator, and one of the things I love about the work you do at Solari is that you're very fact and detail oriented, and you're able to draw out the meaning of, of information as it, as it lies. So the question then becomes, given that generally, if we are looking for how, the, the real basis of an operation, how it works, how it's functioning, we follow the money. The money right. speaks the tale. Right. We can't do that in this case. So how right. do we start to get a handle on these secret programs? Well, it's interesting. I, I think, you know, nobody is as smart as all of us, is what one pundit said. And I think what we have to do is we have to start with the unanswered questions. What are the important questions and what are unanswered? And then what is the information, even whether it's anecdotal or intuitive, that we can gather together that will start to inform those questions? And if you just keep asking those questions and collecting information, you know, the group intelligence starts to kick in and go to work because, um, and part of it is learning how to connect, you know, the, the sort of what we do know about what's going on with what we see in our neighborhoods. So one of the reasons I was 
launching uh, software called Community Wizard that would allow you to look at the federal budget in your community is that you would start to notice, you know, so when I was assistant secretary of housing, I would get a download of where all the foreclosures were. And then you'd go to that block in Dallas and it said you have 10 foreclosures and there'd be a, an empty lot, you know, connect the dots. So I think part of it is learning how to bring it down into my day-to-day life and seeing it in my day-to-day life and taking the actions that can either protect me from it in my day-to-day life or help me sort of navigate it. Because, um, you know, sometimes when you bump into this in your day-to-day life, you just need to, you know, move away. Sometimes, you know, you're in the middle of a meeting and realize, "Uh uh-oh, the people I'm meeting with are not on the up and up and you just have to navigate your way through. Yeah. Um, you, and on that note, it is important to bring this back to something that we can actually do about this rather than just, I mean, it's fun to speculate about where this is going and what have you, but you're doing something very important over at Solari that I hope people have seen. Um, it's called the my 21 2020 campaign. Right. Uh, and we'll put right. the link into the video, uh, highlighting this campaign, but I want to talk about what it is that people can do about this. 21 trillion or whatever it is, uh, and and taking some of that power back into their own hands. So I believe a fantastic amount of money has disappeared both on the bailouts and on missing money. And we have the power to get it back. And the reason I've stuck with this for 30 years is I've known we have the power to get it back. So let's talk a little bit about how to do that. First of all, if you go to missingmoney.salary.com, there is a wealth of documentation on the legal structures of how finance works in the federal government. So if you want to do significant due diligence, you know, we have, uh, I got two of my attorneys to write out the whole framework. Um, and I've done an, a piece with my attorney on called caveat emptor on how to do due diligence if you're an investor. So there's a wealth of the detailed information, but then my 21, 2020 is to bring it down to the 2020 campaign. Campaigns in the United States, James, are a time when people get together with their neighbors and really discuss the issues. You know, it's a, it's remarkable how much the Americans still invest in having a discussion of serious issues during the campaign. And um, so we wanted to get the $21 trillion back into the 2020 discussion, but in a way where people could use it. The first way to get this money back is to use it as political leverage. So I wrote a piece on the pension funds, pension.salary.com. It's called The State of Our Pensions. And I pointed out that the U.S. pension funds are underfunded by $5 trillion, which is a lot less than $21 trillion. And so I want to make sure that the pension trustees and pension beneficiaries, when the time comes, can come to the table and say, well, wait a minute, you gave $24 trillion to the banks, and there's $21 trillion missing from the federal government. Why is it a problem to fund that $5 trillion? Now, in the law, there's something called a common law right of offset. And if you are a contractor who has facilitated illegal payments, or whether you're an IT contractor running the payment systems, or you're a bank at the New York Fed running the depository and the payment systems, the the New York Fed is the depository for the U.S. government. So all banking transactions go through the New York Fed, and their members as agents providing that depository. So if you're J.P. Morgan Chase and you've facilitated these tractions, under under the law, you're liable for those monies if those were illegal transactions and you knew it. 
So, you know, JP Morgan Chase in 2018 earned $32 billion. $32 billion a year for the next 100 years would fund a lot of pension funds, would fund a lot of social security. So, so there are ways, whether it's political leverage or there are ways whether it's basically holding the, the people responsible who've done this, there are ways of getting this money back. So if you look at the posters, one of my favorite posters is this really cool looking young guy. And he says, you know, about my student loan debt, Mr. President, take it from the 21 trillion. <laughs> That's the common law right of offset that I love. When, um, when I settled my litigation with the federal government, I had one of the banks who I believe was the most responsible and I owed them $14,000. And at the time that was approximately the amount of missing money I identified. And I wrote him a letter and said, you know, you owe me 14,000 and I owe you 14,000 and I'm asserting common law right of offset. Goodbye. And that was it. It's an incredible and powerful idea. And it's one that needs to be popularly understood and adopted for it to have exactly. that kind of resonance, which is why I'm totally on board with hijacking the selection circus for 2020 and all of the craziness right. that will go around that to an issue that actually matters. Can you imagine right. if we got a real issue with real substance so, on the table? So let me describe 21 trillion is $65,000 per person. And I don't care what your issue is, whether it's student loan debt, whether it's pension fund, whether it's health care, 65,000 uh, $65, per person. So for a family of four, you know, we're talking about a quarter of a million dollars. That solves many, if not most, practical problems.